Well, good morning, everybody. A uh, very warm welcome. It's great to see uh, lots of visitors with us this morning. I hope you feel a very warm welcome. Uh, I know there's some of you in the overflow as well, so welcome to you. I know it's not quite the same being in there, but uh, I hope you're able to feel part of it this morning. And I also know there's a good number of you watching online, um, and it is great that you can join us. We really pray that um, it'll be a special morning for you, and that you'll feel blessed as you watch what is happening uh, to Corrie this morning. Uh, Each Sunday is is a special day for Christians. We look forward to it. It's a day when we can stop, when we can worship God and when we can hear what he's got to say to us. So each Sunday is special for us. But of course today is a a special Sunday, a particularly special Sunday as we look forward to Corrie being baptised. So we're very much praying for you, Corrie, praying that it'll be a special day for you. In some ways, today's about her. She's going to be the one getting baptised. We'll hear her story later. Uh, But in many ways, actually, this really is about God, and it's about what God has done in her life, and she'll be the first one uh, to tell you that. So we're looking forward to to celebrating today and to thinking about what God has done in Corrie's life. Just wanted to give you a bit of a run-through of the day, uh, well, the service, not the whole day, um, just so that you know a bit of what to expect. Uh, So in a moment, we're going to sing... Then I'm going to explain a little bit about the baptism and why we do it. Then I'm going to read a couple of passages from the Bible that link into a message that our pastor John will be giving a bit later in the service. Then I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing again. Then we're going to hear from Corrie. Um, She's not going to speak live, but we've got a a video recording uh, of her story. So I'm looking forward to hearing that again. Then we're going to sing again. Then we're going to hear the main message from John. Then we're going to sing again. And then we're going to have the baptism. So hopefully that gives you a bit of an idea of what to expect. Just a few notices. Um, It won't be relevant to all of you. uh, But there is a creche. Um, Now it's in the restroom, which is kind of just through the wall there. Um, So you just go round. And uh, if you've got very young children and you'd like to go in the creche, that is now up and running. On Thursday evening, uh, for those of us who are around, James and Rachel, who are with us today, um, are sharing an update of their work. They're missionaries in Cyprus and uh, are sharing an update on their work. So I really encourage you to be out for that if you're local. Um, They've also put out um, a questionnaire that we can ask questions of them that they will then try and answer in that time. The details are on the bulletin or come and speak to me if you'd like to find out more. There's already been a few questions asked so that's good. But if you have any questions you'd like to ask, please uh, do that. And then lastly, uh, this was on the bulletin, but I don't know how many of you see it. It's uh, Lost Property is in the library. Um, the reason I'm telling you is because I've been warned that it's being disposed of by the end of September. Um, not quite sure how they're doing that and how much TNT they're using. But um, yeah, that's in the, in the library. Well, we're going to sing. Uh, it's one of the most famous songs of all time, most famous hymns. Corey didn't write it, uh, but it's very much her story. And it's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So when the music starts, let's stand and we'll sing together.
Well, those of you who are in the building here will be able to see the pool. And uh, adult baptism might seem like a very strange thing to you, especially if you haven't seen something like this before. It's not often that someone fully dressed gets in a pool uh, surrounded by people watching. Um, it can all seem a bit strange. So what, what is it all about? Well, Corey might have explained to you when she invited you. Um, but baptism is basically a very a public way of showing that Jesus has died for our sins, that we've been forgiven, and that we are now followers of him. Uh, I'm sure all of us know the Easter story. Uh, Jesus dying on the cross, uh, he was buried, and then he rose again. And when Corrie is baptised at the end of the service, uh, she'll be fully immersed under the water. And that really is a picture of her dying, as it were, with Jesus. So just as Jesus died and was buried... That's what it's a picture of going under the water, that Corrie is dying, as it were, with Jesus. And then when she's lifted back out of the water, it's a picture of her, as it were, rising again with Jesus to new life in Jesus. So so Corrie is dying to her old self and having new life in Jesus. She's publicly saying that she is now associated with Jesus. She's connected to Jesus. That is what baptism is, is all about. There's nothing special about the water. We haven't prayed over it this morning. It's, it's simple hose water. Um, it's simply a picture, really, of, of what has already happened, what's happened in Corrie's life. And uh, it's a bit like a wedding ring in some ways. Uh, you get married and then you share rings. And that ring is a, is a symbol of commitment and, and unity together. And that, in many ways, is what baptism is. It's, um, Corrie is already a Christian, but this is a, a symbol of her commitment to Jesus and union with Jesus. If you have any questions or you'd like to talk about it more, then maybe chat to Corrie or come and find one of us. We'd love to talk about it or get in touch. If you're watching online, get in touch. Uh, we'd love to talk about it more if you're interested by what happens today. So hopefully that helps a bit. Well, we've got some readings from the Bible now. Uh, they'll be up on the, the screen, or if you've got your own Bible, feel free to read it from there. And the first reading is from Matthew chapter 11, so the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to read from verses 15 to 30. So 15 to 30. And it says this. This is Jesus speaking. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, 
It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's reading one, and then our second reading is also from Matthew in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 12, and this is verses 9 to 21, verses 9 to 21 of chapter 12. Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you, who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus Aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Well, we're looking forward to John speaking from that and explaining some of that to us uh, shortly. But now uh, we're going to pray. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful privilege of praying. Lord, I pray that we would never take it for granted. Oh Lord, you are so powerful. Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And yet, Lord, through Jesus we can speak to you. Lord, we can speak at times like this, And we can also speak privately 
in our rooms by ourselves. Our Lord, we thank you for this wonderful privilege. Our Lord, you are not some distant deity. Lord, you are, through Jesus, our Heavenly Father, to those who follow you and to those who know you. And Lord, we thank you that we can come as your children and we can pray to you now. And Lord, we thank you uh, for Corrie. And Lord, we thank you for the courage that she's had to come today and to share her faith with, with everyone here and everyone watching. Lord, I thank you so much for that. Lord, I thank you for changing her life. Lord, I thank you that through Jesus, Lord, you have given her new life. Lord, that you have washed away her sins. And Lord, that she is now a follower of you. She is connected to you, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you so much for that. Lord, we know this isn't how we're born. Lord, the Bible warns us that we are born separated from you. Lord, we are born as enemies of you. And Lord, that is shocking. Lord, it's so often not how we think. So often we think we're okay and yet the Bible tells us things very differently. Lord, the Bible warns us that there is this great gulf between us and you. But Lord, through Jesus, Lord, we can be forgiven. Lord, we can be reconciled. We can be brought back to you. We can have our sins forgiven and we can know you, not as an enemy, but Lord, as our loving Father. And Lord, we thank you that Corrie can now say, yes, that is true of me. And I thank you that she is so publicly sharing that with all of us today. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness and the hope and the peace and the joy that she has experienced because of what you've done for her. Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you sent him into this world. Jesus, thank you for willingly coming into this world. Lord, we thank you for the compassion that you show people. We've read about it in that passage. Lord, the love and the, the care that you show people. Lord, it was so countercultural. Lord, we thank you that you are still the same today. Lord, that you are still full of compassion and love and we thank you for that. Lord, you are also the God who calms storms. Lord, you are the God who raised the dead to life. Lord, you are the God who raised your son, Jesus, to life again. And so, Lord, you deserve respect. And Lord, I pray that we would honour you this morning as the great God. Lord, I pray that you'd help John, our pastor, as he speaks later. Lord, I pray that you'd help him to be really clear in what he says. I pray that you'd help us to understand, help us to listen. And Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be in our minds that it would be useful, but Lord, I pray that it would impact our lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hear John speak this morning. Lord, I pray that we may hear you speak to us. Lord, I just want to bring before you as well, Lord, those who are going back to uni or going to uni for the first time, some have gone just yesterday from this church. Lord, I really pray that you'd be with them. Lord, it is a huge uh, change in life. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you are not just the God of Crowborough or the surrounding area, but Lord, you are the God of the world. And Lord, you can be with them wherever they are. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd bless them. Lord, I pray that they would seek you first above all else in their studies and in their uh, new life elsewhere. Lord, do bless them. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would pray for them and support them 
uh, in their new lives. Lord, I pray uh, for those who are struggling. Lord, for those who are maybe ill, uh, for those whom life is tough, for those whom life just seems to be one constant stress at the moment, Lord, I pray that that they would find their, their deepest joy and their deepest peace in you. Lord, I thank you that you give a, a peace that is beyond our understanding. And so, Lord, we pray that for those people. And, Lord, we just pray as well for those of us for whom life is good. Lord, where we, we feel maybe invincible in life. Life is going great, everything is good. Lord, I pray that we would see our need of you. So, Lord, I do pray that you'd be with us this morning. Lord, I pray that it would be a special morning. Do bless Corrie especially. Bless each of us as we watch. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, right at the heart of Christianity is the cross. Um, It's so important for us. It's, It's where we begin as Christians at the cross. And it's something that we never want to move on from. As Christians, we never get to the point where we think, I've got that now, I'm going to move on. It is so important for us. And, and this next song reminds us of that as we think about Jesus, as we think about his sacrifice, as we think about that again. So let's stand again when the music starts and we'll sing uh, this next song. going to hear from Corrie. Corrie has finally agreed to share her story with us. Um, We've got it on video, so we're going to play that now. Um, So listen as you hear Corrie's story. This is my story of how I came to faith. I grew up in Forestville Baptist Chapel and loved Sunday school. From a very young age, I always thought I was going to be a Christian. I sort of thought it was the set milestone that I just had to reach. So I used to pray elaborate and um, massive prayers that I could put in my testimony when I was older. In primary school, I thought I wasn't that sinful or bad because I was a good kid 
and I had this idea that I had to spend a few years being rebellious. This was so I had bigger sins to be forgiven for, um, and something that I could actually be sorry about and have a massive conversion and testimony. Looking back on this time, I realised how self-righteous I was and how much conceit I had. I was completely blind to the flaws in how I was thinking. At secondary school, in like year seven or eight, I thought this was a good time to go away from God and be slightly rebellious. So I just lived for myself and followed the crowd in many different ways. A lot of things became acceptable to me that um, weren't acceptable in what God had said in the Bible. Um, other than this, I lied a lot and went along with the crowd. I also squabbled with my family and was a massive bully to my sister. I felt like walking away from God wasn't quite big enough or bad enough, as everyone around me at school did exactly the same. It was so easy to blend in that way, being the one who wasn't different. I still viewed myself as an okay person because at parents' evening it went really well and I also occasionally gave a tut at the evolution lessons we had. Despite acting like a good person, my self-esteem began to swing in the other direction. I felt insecure and exhausted um, from trying to keep up with the expectations of school and other people. My stress and confusion of becoming a teenager at early secondary school was often taken out in bursts of anger and spite at my little sister, Susanna. <coughs> uh, this may have been the reason for uh, the screwdriver incident in her own testimony. My mum would tell me um, it mattered more what I looked like in God's eyes rather than other people's. I knew this was true, but I thought that if God knew everything, um, then he knew that I would become a Christian, so it didn't, like, in the end, so it didn't matter what I did now, uh, which was definitely wrong. All through this time, I can see how God had so much patience with me and how he still blessed me, even though I never actually cared to even notice it. Similar to many others, Cobra Camp and Young People Holidays have been key in my journey of faith. I remember Johnny Young going um, and doing a talk on how amazing creation and space was using stars and planets um, to put the size of Earth in perspective. This was, as far as I can um, remember, the first time I was properly struck uh, with, war and, with awe and wonder um, about God and just how like, incomprehensible he is. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And Psalm 8 verse 3 to 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. It just blew my mind that there is over an estimated 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone and an estimated 125 billion galaxies. What amazed me more is that God created and knows everything about each star. And if this is so, which it is, how much more does he then know and care about each one of us who is designed so carefully? This got me thinking, how can you think that God doesn't exist when you see the vastness and detail in just one glimpse of creation, in just the stars alone? It's incredible. I remember many of Cyhook's talks from YPs and camp that have encouraged me. Um, he gave, he gave um, us once a letter underneath our seats, written from the perspective of God, inviting us to accept um, this invitation of salvation in heaven. This sat heavily on my heart as I wanted to live my own life, yet I knew I couldn't turn the invitation down. 
Firstly, it wouldn't be logical choosing the empty and fake invitation to live for the world over the invitation of heaven and unconditional love from God. Secondly, I knew that he had made a sacrifice for me and loved me, so I couldn't just reject it. However, despite the spiritual high um, and many talks each year after camp, I would promise myself to live for God, and yet barely a few weeks later, back at school, I just wouldn't even care anymore. One year on YP holiday in Brixham, Mark did a talk on Christ's sacrifice for us, and I so vividly remember how he had a wooden cross, some nails and hammer. He talked about Jesus bearing all our sins and the detail of the pain that he had to suffer for us. The room was dead silent as he hammered some nails into the wooden cross. The imagination of this happening to Jesus' hands was bold to me and brought me really close to tears. Realising Jesus' suffering upset me and moved me deeply. The feeling of sadness was followed by realising once again just how loved I was. I felt overwhelming safety. Um, but at the same time like a desperate urge to just leave and pray. As soon as the discussion time started, I went outside alone and thanked God for his gift of love. I felt like my mind was blown and at the same time a wave of peace. It's really hard to describe. I asked him to take all my sins away, promising to live life the way he wanted me to. But like many YPs, like many YPs and years of camp, I would be encouraged and excited about being a Christian, would turn to God again, and then get carried away with life after summer holidays. I struggled a lot in GCSE year. The persistent and heavy loads of schoolwork and pressure of exams consumed my mind, and I didn't want to have um, the commitment of education and the commitment of following God at the same time. It was all too much work and I was just struggling enough already. I had it all so wrong. I ignored the fact that God was in control and that I needed him. So with every busy day being so full and hard to handle, I thought that life happening in front of me was way more important than my relationship with God. Pushing God out of my mind meant that unhelpful ideas and perspectives crept in. School began to feel more like a dull repeat of like life in prison. Every day I'd be shoved more knowledge to learn and more expectant and pressing lectures from teachers. I just, I really felt like I couldn't do it. Overwhelmed with anxiety, I would still keep up my bubbly personality um, for my friends and my church life. But becoming more trodden down throughout the year, I just didn't care about that either anymore. I felt numb, I felt depressed, and what I used to enjoy was empty, everything pointless in life. Even though I had heard the truth hundreds of times, and was continuing to hear it every week at church, I felt that God wouldn't want me because I was useless. At the same time, I felt guilty. Guilty for lying to everyone about how I really felt and how I was really doing. I felt guilty for ignoring Jesus' outstretched hand of help and love. And guilty of where I was in my mind, but most importantly, guilty of all, was just seeing life as nothing when God had created it so wonderfully to be the opposite of that. I knew I was offering, I knew I was offending him, and I wanted to escape from it. It didn't sit right with me. I tried to skip church and skip YPs, I closed off from all my friends, and I could tell my parents began to worry about me. Exams came, and a prayer before a test was the only time I spoke to God. And even with me shoving him out, hating who he had made me, and wanting to just escape the life he'd planned for me, and thinking so little of him as to use the God of the entire universe as an exam charm, 
he still lovingly answered my prayers and blessed and cared for me. I carried on snatching everything for granted all the while seeing life as empty, yet he carried on loving me. After a series of talks on happiness on the Wales YB holiday, I knew I had to try and end this depressive way that I was thinking. And only this time I knew that I couldn't do it by myself. We have to come to Jesus as we are. We have to come to God as we are, with all our worries, with all our insecurities, flaws, sin and baggage. We have to lay it all before him and realise we can't save ourselves or help ourselves in any other way. Or in any way at all. But God in his abundant grace and mercy welcomes us with open arms. And if we ask, he separates us from all our wrongdoings as far as the east is from the west because Jesus already bore the punishment we deserve. That's the reference from Psalm 103 verse 12. The love and care people showed at Forest Fold really changed my perspective as well. They had purpose and I could just tell that they were deeply happy. It just wasn't right that I thought my life was so worthless when Jesus had shown unfathomable love by giving his life for me so that I might have eternal life with him. I knew that I was so precious to Jesus and so loved by God, I began to want to live for him and not for myself. I was afraid that starting sixth form would continue with the old pattern of going back to my old self, um, but this time was different. I had asked for forgiveness many times in the past, but lacked the right heart and didn't mean it deeply. Even though my faith was weak and I often drifted in and out of Jesus, I now had a, a, a stronger sense of belonging and Jesus as my friend and closer than a brother, and I knew that I was kept safe in him. I know I am a child of the King of Heaven and I trust him. He has forgiven my sins and each day I learn more of his character as I walk with him. I was nervous about starting university. Um, what would I be disliked? Would I even have? Would I even be a good witness for God? How would people take um, having a Christian living with them? Um, would I be able to cope with the change? But God gave me massive, um, a massive blessing of going on a holiday um, to the Lake District with some Christian friends, which prepared me for uni more than I noticed. It comforted me that even if I didn't make friends at uni um, because of like my faith or the pandemic or other reasons, I still have family and friends that I will be praising Jesus with in heaven. God walked close with me through my first year and looking back I can see his outcomes were far, far better than the plans that I had made and were ruined. Um, I'm so glad that it happened the way he needed it to, the way he wanted it to, um, because I've met so many precious people I'm so grateful for. Um, and I've learned so much from them. Whether we realise it or not, Jesus is the only one who can fill the craving in life for something more. In Romans 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, while we still ignored him, didn't even look at him, um, despised him, didn't believe in him, Christ, knowing this, still died for us. Um, I think that's just incredible. Thank you. This is my story of how I came to faith. I grew up in Forestfold Baptist Church. Maybe we can watch it again another time. Thank you so much for um, your courage and your honesty in sharing that. I hope that's been helpful for us. And I'm sure if you have any questions you want to talk to Corey, I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you and, and share some of that. Uh, before John comes up and uh, speaks to us uh, with the main message, we're going to sing again. This is Corrie's choice. 
O great God of highest heaven. And, and really, this, this is Corrie's prayer as, as she goes into the future. This is what Corrie is praying. So let's stand and uh, sing again, and then John will come up. Well, it's a special day. It's a special day that we thank God for. Um, It's a special day that many people have come here to watch or tuned in to see. And uh, the the support and interest uh, on today and for Corrie is appreciated. Uh, But as we have been reminded already, today is a day which points to Jesus. What Corrie is doing is pointing to Jesus. And so in my message this morning I want to focus on some words that Jesus said, some words that I think it would be good for us to drink in, to think through, and I'm praying that we will be helped by them. These words have been called the greatest invitation ever made, the greatest invitation ever made. And they do deserve our attention. Uh, They show what Corrie has come to appreciate personally. And their words, which could make a very significant 
difference to our lives, indeed to our future. So I'm praying they'll be powerful and appealing this morning. They're in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Uh, Let me read them. I'll show them as well. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, we're simply going to look at four things from these verses, from these words of Jesus going to take a bit longer on the first one because it's going to set the scene but four things that I hope will be fitting today and I hope will help you today. And the first is just to think of his invitation. His invitation. It is an invitation. The words start, come. They encourage us to come to Jesus. Come to me, he says. Uh, Corrie mentioned in her story Um, of hearing a talk where somebody had placed under people's chairs a a letter with an invitation in. Well, I haven't gone round the seats and the pews this morning putting a letter under each of you. But I want you to imagine that there was, under your seat, an invitation. Or in front of you at home, in front of your sofa, on the carpet an invitation. And you'll see it's for a certain sort of person. On the envelope, there is in big writing words like this. To the worn out and weighed down. To the worn out and weighed down. I wonder if you want to open it. Does it appeal to you to have an envelope with that written on it? To the worn out and weighed down. Perhaps when nobody else is looking, you might not want to open it in front of everyone else to the worn out and weighed down, but deep down, your Corrie's testimony was talking about what's going on deep down beneath the smile. Well, deep down, would you want to open this invitation to the worn out and way down. Jesus is in his invitation talks about those who labour and that refers to those who are weary. They, they're weary by their efforts, they're weary by their striving, they're weary by their searching. They're laboured and weary, they're worn out. They've been worked hard and they can't keep going. He talks about those coming who are heavy laden, heavily loaded, burdened. Things are too much for them. They're buckling under the weight. So his invitation is simply to the worn out and the weighed down. And we can relate to that, if you like, in life. So whether it's feeling overwhelmed by homework, projects and college, we we heard about that, whether it be the grind of 9 till 5 or 6 till 8 or 6 till 8 plus, or whether it be the endless appointments 
and the endless schedules and the endless family responsibilities, we know perhaps something about being worn out and weighed down in life. But here is something deeper than that. It's something inside. It's something to do with their souls and our souls. It's something spiritual. And we see it in different ways. We can be worn out and weighed down by the demands of others. So the people here that Jesus was speaking to were being crushed under the the detailed uh, legalistic uh, demands of the religious leaders of the day. A few pages on from here in Matthew 23 and verse 4, he talks uh, about them as those who tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. Excessive, detailed, harsh requirements and the people couldn't cope with them and it was presented as necessary in order to be accepted by God. And perhaps you've found something similar. An oppressive regime of religious requirements and regulations may be linked to the Christian religion or maybe from another religion and a feeling that you need to keep all of them to be accepted by God to have peace with God and you've tried but you can't and you haven't and you're worn out and you're weary and you're weighed down because you are not good enough and you know you are not good enough Perhaps it's a bit more personal. You are worn out and weighed down with self-expectations. You set yourself high expectations. You should achieve those. You expect to get those grades and you expected to get that place in life and you expected to get that job. And a life is one of feeling that you have got to prove yourself and justify yourself and it's not working. You're feeling increasingly worthless. You don't meet the demands. There's not a settledness in your heart. There's not a peace. There's not a satisfaction. You just can't meet your own expectations of knowing how you should live and you're worn out with it and you're weighed down by it. Or maybe it is by... Your search for truth. You're searching for truth and you're not finding it. Jesus has just before been talking about the important things we need to know about God revealing himself and making himself understood. And maybe you just haven't got there. Your quest for truth is driving you spare. And you're worn out and you're weighed down with it. So this invitation comes to the worn out and to the weighed down. Does it interest you? Do you you want to open the envelope? You can open the envelope and this is what it says. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
these verses tell you about his gift. What is his gift according to these words of invitation? What can Jesus give to those who come to him? It says, I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It says in the next verse, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, most of us like rest generally. So I put up this photo and uh, I don't know, I I imagine it was quite appealing to most of us. Uh, We like to be at the beach. We like good weather. We like tranquil scenery. Uh, We'd like to be in that chair. We look forward to holidays. We look forward to the weekend. We look forward to Sundays. We like rest. And God, in his kindness, gives rest to us naturally. There's a a balance, a rhythm of work and rest. But here Jesus is talking about an inner rest. Rest for your souls, he said. A spiritual rest, a deep rest. The word rest means refreshing. Jesus invites people who are worn out and uh, weighed down spiritually to come to him for rest and refreshment. We stop striving when we come to Jesus. We, we don't feel wearied in that way. We lose our burden. How is it that Jesus relieves us of that burden and of that weariness? Well, it's because he meets the demands himself, because he bears the burden himself. So I remember coming down London Road uh, in the car um, a a good few months ago, and uh, there was uh, London Road is quite a slope. Those of you who who know the town, it's quite a slope. And there was somebody cycling up the other side, up the slope. That's quite a a big slope, but it, it looked effortless. And the person looked happy and content. This is one of the biggest slopes in Crowborough. And I realised as I come down, why? It's one of these new bikes with a motor. So it was fine going up the hill. It wasn't doing the work. The motor was doing the work. So there was a smile on his face. Somebody else was doing the work instead. The Gospel, the Bible says that Jesus came to do the work instead the righteous life which we know is needed, those high expectations which God rightly has. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, perfect in relation to others, perfect in relation to God, perfect in terms of his actions, perfect in terms of his words, perfect in terms of his thoughts, perfect in terms of his motives. And when we come to Jesus, we have that perfect life given to us and it gives rest. We can go up the hill effortlessly because Jesus has done the work. You might not enjoy shopping that much. Some of you have got big families and perhaps it's a a fairly big do to go out and get shopping. But I tell you, it would be miles harder if it wasn't for a marvellous little invention called the shopping trolley. You imagine going to Morrison's and you've got to get two bags of potatoes, you've got to get to 
10, 15 tins, you've got to get six or eight uh, packs of cereal, you've got to get four, four pints of milk, and let's go on, we've got to add the, the meat to it, and you've got to get these bags of apples, and you've got to get this veg, and you think of your shopping list, and you imagine going round Rorison's with all of that stuff, you couldn't, but you have a shopping trolley, and you can just go round one-handed, and you can look, because something else bears the burden instead. And that is what Jesus does. He came into this world to bear the burden, the burden of sin, the burden of guilt, the burden of failure. It says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. See, Jesus takes it instead. In the Old Testament, pointing forward to Jesus, it says in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, I'll read a bit from verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. This is the cross that Jesus went on at Corey was talking about the talk in her testimony with the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. So Jesus does the work instead. Bears the burden instead. So the person who comes to him can rest. It's being dealt with. It's looked after. It's been handled. The burden is not yours to bear anymore. That's what's wrapped up in this invitation to come to Jesus. There is an inner rest for those who come to know Jesus. There is a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as it says elsewhere. We seek to live for him, that involves busyness and effort, but it's done out of rest. It's done out of rest. The rest we have now goes on forever. There is eternal life for believers. Heaven is a place of rest from labours. Those who are in Christ do truly rest in peace. Rest. His gift is rest. You may have heard of Pilgrim's Progress. It's a Christian classic written by John Bunyan. It's based on a a dream which he had um, and it brings a lot of Bible truth together. There was a man called Christian in it. He's the main character, if you like, because he does become a, a Christian. And he has a great burden on his back. He is weighed down with a massive burden of his guilt. He can barely cope with the load. And he comes to a place and starts to climb a place. And at the top of that place on the hill there is a cross. And at the bottom of the hill there is a tomb, a sepulchre, with an opening hole to it. And as he gets closer to the cross he finds that the burden on his back is loosened and it falls off, and it tumbles down the hill. You can see the burden rolling down the hill, and it rolls into the hole of 
the tomb and he never sees it again. And you look at the face of Christian and his face is happy and relieved and joyful because the burden has gone off his back. And that's what the cross and the resurrection of Jesus accomplish through his death. Trusting in him, turning to him. Our guilt is taken away, it's rolled away, it's finally dealt with and the resurrection of Jesus, the tomb proves that it is paid for. His gift, rest through Jesus. A couple of other things. His heart, his heart is shown in these words of invitation. If you're being invited to follow someone, to deal with someone, to trust someone, you need to know a bit about them. You need to know their character. I think we miss out on this quite a lot these days. We're not aware enough of the importance of character. If you're going into business with someone, big time, you need to know about their character. If you're having a very close friendship or following someone, you need to know what sort of person they are deep down. If you're going to be in a close relationship with someone, think character is very important. Jesus here talks about his heart. In fact, it's the only place in the Bible he does talk about his heart. What is the character of this person inviting? Can, can we trust them? Carries on in verse 29 and he says this. Take my yoke and take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Gentle and lowly in heart. We get a window here into the heart of Christ and what do we see? It's gentle and lowly. It's gentle and humble. There are many people around, many who want followers who are proud and self-centred. They really just care about themselves. They're harsh, they're hard, they're uncaring. Uh, Some religious leaders can be like this and the religious leaders of the day were like this. Perhaps you've had influences on you in life which were like this. Maybe even religious influences on life that were like this. Uncaring, self-serving, bruising possibly to you. Jesus is different. What do we see deep in his character? Gentle and humble. He wants the worn out refreshed. He wants the burden to be relieved. We learn in Philippians 2 how much the heart of Jesus is servant-like. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The character of Jesus, humble, lowly, servant-like, is somebody worthy of trust and worthy of coming to. To do justice to these words, I need to come to the fourth thing because I want to cover the words properly. And this is a bit stranger to our ears. And it is his yoke. His yoke. It's mentioned twice in verse 
29, we have, Take my yoke upon you. And verse 30, we have, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a wooden frame uh, used mainly for animals. Uh, It's a frame which brings them together and helps them to work together so that they can carry a a, a plough or or a cart so that they can be sort of governed by and influenced by whoever's driving the animals. It's a yoke, it's a wooden frame around their necks. And in the Bible it's often used of a a picture of being uh, led or coming under the responsibility of being guided, coming under the yoke. And in Jesus' day, the religious leaders, well, they had, if you like, a yoke which was, which was rough, which, which fit badly, which hurt. And the people who had these religious leaders, if you like, they had uh, worn down skin to the hide and it was red and sore. And they had contorted and twisted necks. It was a bad yoke. It was a hard yoke. Now, when you follow Jesus, there, there is a yoke. We do come under his authority. Corrie, when she answers the questions in a few minutes' time, will show that she's come under the authority of Jesus. We, we join his team. We, we work for him. We come under his leadership. But here we find out that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, I don't want to misrepresent any, anyone. This mis, 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 uh, I don't want to misunderstand this morning. I don't want to misrepresent what Jesus said. It's not easy being a Christian. A Christian has a lot of difficulties in life, as everyone does. A Christian sometimes has extra difficulties. Jesus has been plain about that. Some of us have seen it in Luke. talks about taking up their cross. There are difficulties in the way of being a Christian. How come then that Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light? It's because it makes so much difference when you've found rest in Jesus. It's as if the yoke is a cushioned yoke. One writer said it's lined with love. In fact, we could say it's lined with peace, it's lined with hope, it's lined with security, it's lined with joy. There is a yoke, but what a different sort of yoke. And the person in charge of us is concerned for us and he's doing good and the work we're involved with is a good work. So his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We live and serve out of a sense of rest. So we have these words, words of great invitation, praying that they might have been useful this morning, pray that God might use them to bring relief to somebody. We had a a church meeting uh, this week in which Corrie gave her story to the church. That's just the way we work as a church. She was becoming a member. And we had uh, two joining the church. So we had two give their stories or two give their testimonies. And the other was Vera. And uh, dear Vera is in her 90s. 
And yet she still came up and she was moving from another church but she was given her explanation of what God did in her life and how God changed her many years ago. Let me just read a little part of Vera's testimony at the end. She says when she was much younger, in her teens I think, at that time the then fact and faith slide films were very popular and made a big impact on me. The series culminated in one on the life of Christ which moved me to tears. I shall never forget the picture of our Lord with his outstretched arms saying, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That night I confessed my sin and asked Jesus to come into my heart as Saviour and Lord. And then she adds, this is handwritten, it's written in capitals, this last little bit, and he did, three exclamation marks, and he did. So there's another person who's responded to, been made to respond to, the invitation of Christ and found real rest from being worn out and weighed down. I'm just going to read the invitation again to finish. And I hope that by God's Spirit it works in the hearts of some. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you. Well, we're going to have another song in a minute before the baptism. And then when we come to the baptism, we want people to see well. Uh, In general, that means that most of us stay standing up to get a good view. But it it may be that for for some, if you're right next to the pool in front of others, maybe you, you want to stay sitting down so that others behind can see you or the front of the gallery maybe stay sitting down or... I don't know how many are in the overflow, but uh, the ones nearer the front might want to say sitting down so that people can see. We also uh, have had the, the pattern here uh, that uh, we like the children to get a good view, so the children can feel free at the end of the song to, under their parents, nod and guys, get to a point where they can have good sight. Our song before the baptism is about Jesus. I will glory in my Redeemer whose priceless blood has ransomed me. Shall we stand to sing this song?
So if I could just explain uh, how things are going to work here as we have the joy of this baptism uh, moment. Um, I'm going to give a verse to Corrie to encourage her at this time. We do that and it's a good thing to do. And then we're going to go down into the water and uh, I'm going to ask Corrie a couple of questions uh, which she'll answer very briefly just to confirm that she's repented and be baptised. And then uh, after the baptism, as Corrie comes up out of the water, uh, we've got a, a song that we're going to sing the first verse and the chorus of, it is the song to God be the glory. So do, if you can, sing that along a response of praise. And then after that, Mark is going to close in prayer. Well, Corrie, I've just got a short phrase really. It it keeps it in line really with some of the things that we've been looking at earlier on in the service. It's a good phrase for you. I think it's a good phrase for all of us. It's in the book of Colossians. So it's what Paul wrote to the believers at uh, Colossae. And he says in chapter 3 and verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. Well, I think that's good for you. I think that's good for us. It's also rule, so you might think, yeah, give me a break, I don't want this talk of rule influencing, governing me. But when you think of what it is that is governing you and ruling you, well, that changes it. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the peace of God, which you've come to know through the Gospel, sort of seep into everything. Let it affect your relationship with God, to realise increasingly you're at peace with him. Um, let it affect how you feel in yourself as you realise you're at peace with God. Let it rule and govern that outlook, those inner thoughts. And here, particularly in these verses, it was how it affects others. So let the peace of God affect the way in which you are in your relationship with others. I think it's a great phrase for us all. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Well, I must remember to take my mic off before we go down. Have you been made sorry for your sin and confessed it to God? Have you turned from it as a way of life and have you begun with God's help to aim to live a life that pleases him? Yes, I have. Corrie, do you trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Saviour? Do you believe that through his death and resurrection there is forgiveness and everlasting life? Yes, I do. Well, on your repentance towards God and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour, I baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit.
pray to finish the service. Uh, Lord God, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for Corrie and especially, Lord, what you have done in her life. Lord, that she has come to know that wonderful rest, that refreshing rest. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that Jesus takes our burdens and our sins when we come to him. And Lord, I pray that that may be true for many more of us. So Lord, we come in thanks for all you do. In Jesus' name, Amen.